Welcome to Teacher Pop, a podcast where teachers discuss pop culture topics and how they can apply to teaching in the classroom. I'm your host, Jordan Billings, a seventh grade social studies teacher who loves being in the classroom and talking about all things pop culture. Let's get into today's topic. All right, everybody, welcome to this amazing episode of Teacher Pop. We have the always awesome and amazing Josh Stock as our guest. Josh, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Um, yeah, so like you said, I'm Josh Stock. I'm a sixth grade language arts teacher in Olathe. Um, I love middle schoolers. It's I've taught in middle school my entire career. So, I mean, they just are amazing to work with. And they're so much fun and they're goofy and quirky and weird. And so... I really enjoy that. Um, I also host a podcast, Awesome Sauce Edu, um, and then I am the author of the book, Awesome Sauce. So, yes. Yeah. By the way, I will be linking the uh, the link to the book in the show notes for sure. If you have not checked out Awesome Sauce, I know I'll plug it again, but like that is an amazing book, and you guys totally need to check it out. Absolutely, you definitely should. <laughs> <laughs> so um, today. Uh, we are talking about the movie Jurassic Park, the 1992, I want to say? 93. 93, okay. The 1993 uh, movie based on the Michael Crichton book. So Josh, take us through a, just a little bit of what is this movie about? Okay, so if, if you haven't had the chance to experience Jurassic Park, um, basically it's just about um, this company, that has created this theme park that has brought dinosaurs back from extinction. And so you've got a, a group of paleontologists. Um, I can't remember what Ian Malcolm's role. He's like a mathematician. He's a mathematician. Yeah. Yep. Something like that. Um, and then you've got this group of people. They're all just kind of testing out the theme park before it's opening to the public to ensure some uh, help some investors uh, ease their, their minds a little bit. Um, and then bad things happen and dinosaurs get loose and they just have to survive. That is like the most amazing summary of Jurassic Park <laughs> that I would think of. I, I love that. So um, we are, we're going to do more of a deep dive. So I know that we've kind of mentioned this, but and I know it's the 90s, but um, it, we are going to spoil the movie. So if you haven't seen it, um, you do need to go and, and check it out. So, um, all right. So let's get started with like... It, a favorite scene quote from the movie um something that's kind of like your go-to okay so this is not i don't know how many people know this quote or remember it at all but um so samuel L. jackson's in the movie um yes. has this really small role and he says this one line when they're flipping on the electricity and he says hold on to your butts yes and he's got the cigarette hanging out of his mouth and he's just i don't know it, that has been my go-to quote for years. Like my drives my kids crazy because that's I say it all the time. I'm just like, all right, guys, let's go. Let's hold on to your butts. And I don't know what it is about that line, but it's just I don't know. It, it's always stuck with me. And I, poor Samuel L. Jackson doesn't fare very well in the movie, but oh, he does not. <laughs> um, but yes, no, I I absolutely agree. I, like that is one of those. I would say that's at least in the top five for most people that have seen the movie Jurassic Park, and really even. That's kind of Samuel L. before he even gets like really big. Like, I mean, you, you I'm pretty sure, I mean, that's pre Pulp Fiction. I mean, definitely pre, you know, uh, Marvel's pre Star Wars. 
Um, so it's kind of nice to get to see him in that in that little role. So uh, one of the things that I was I was thinking about um, is the the line that is uttered by um, and now I can't, I, I can't, it's Mr. Hammond. Hammond. John Hammond, yeah. John Hammond is the guy that kind of owns the park and he keeps having this recurring line of spared no expense. And he's always talking about all these things in the park where he's like, you know, there's this automated track that all the, you know, cars run on that, that will take you through the park, spared no expense. You know, all the food is great, spared no expense. Um, I, I think that these, both of these quotes, I think that we can dig a lot into, into education. I mean, as of right now, we are recording this in the pandemic. And if you're not kind of having that feeling before a lesson of hold on to your butts, <laughs> You know, I, I, I think you might be taking a look at, you know, wanting to change some stuff up in the classroom. That's that's every every moment of every day. I'm like, all right, especially on those days when you walk in and you're not 100 percent solid on, you know, you have an idea in mind of how the lesson's going to go. And you're like, all right, let's go. Hold on to your butts. This is this is going to be great. And then you just got to get ready for the ride. <laughs> exactly. And the, the thought of the spared no expense, what I keep going back to in the movie is, um, you know, this is supposed to be this state-of-the-art, amazing uh, theme park that they've thought of. They, they've Everything has been planned out, and they've been willing to kind of put a bunch of money into this and whatever. Spared no expense, yet it still ends up breaking down. It still has these problems. And even, I think it's even Samuel L. Jackson that's like, at one point there's something that happens with a car and he's like, this is, you know, like item 141 on today's yeah. list. He's like, we have the, we have the problems of a theme park and a major zoo all at once. Like all these problems are happening at the same time. And even with the spared, no expense. And in fact, you know what, I'm going to come back to that because there's a time where he doesn't spare no expense and it really comes back to bite him. So Okay, so in, in the movie, um, and I, I have another quote that I'll, I'll get to in a little bit, but as, as we're kind of getting into the start of the movie, um, we, we get uh, these paleontologists. We have um, uh, Grant and I cannot so, Yeah, Here's one thing that bugs me is I can't remember what her last name is because even on the IMDb page, it lists her as Ellie. And it really bothers me that he's Dr. Grant and she's just listed as Ellie. Like, because I'm she's sure a, doctor she a doctor too. too. Right, right. Like, and she's even like, I think she's even like an ancient, like, like, like plant a botanist, expert. I think. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, there can't be too many of those in the world. Right. And, and so, so, okay. So you have um, Ellie and you have Dr. Grant and Hammond comes up to them and says, hey, I need some people to sign off on this theme park. It's got to be, you know, safe and, you know, kind of like, you know, I'll help fund your dig, gets them inspired and they, they get ready. They're going um, to, to this, this like remote island in, um, I want to say, is it in the Caribbean? Yeah, I think it's off of, I want to say Costa Rica. Yes, maybe. you're right. It is. And so, um, so they have to get there by helicopter because, you know, obviously for safety of the animals, you know, they keep everything in there. Thank goodness. Right. And so, um, so they, they have the scene where they're flying in, um, and, uh, and they, they are going down to land and, um, there's a lot of turbulence. And so they go to buckle their seatbelts 
And there's this, so Dr. Grant is this, he himself seems to be a dinosaur in the way of, he's not doing a lot with technology, things like that. And so everybody clicks their seatbelts, no problem. And he pulls two seatbelts that are um, the two female ends of a plane belt and he tries to put them together. I love that I'm showing you this, knowing this is a full podcast, <laughs> but I want everybody to know that I'm putting my hands together like I'm trying to yes. do this. So, very seatbelt-like. Very seatbelt-like. So um, so he tries to put them together and they're they're trying to like, you know, figure out what's happening. And even Hammond's like, we're going to land by the time that you get this. And then he literally takes both ends and just ties a knot. And there's a, a whole thing of like, you know, it's that ingenuity. When you're having that problem, um, getting in there and fixing it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, so after you've told the kids to hold onto their butts, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to launch this, you know, there are those moments when you get that turbulence and like the lesson may not be going the way you want it to. And you kind of have to improvise with, okay, this is not going well. What is around me right now? What can I do to transform this lesson uh, to salvage it? Um, I remember one time I was doing a lesson and it just was bombing completely and i actually took um the notes they were writing and i was like okay everybody hold it up in the air okay now you're gonna fold this corner to this corner okay now you're gonna fold it in half again okay fold this corner and i just all, all these series of folds i was just making up and i said okay now squish it together okay now we're gonna throw it into the trash can let's see who can make it <laughs> and you know it just because there was no salvaging that lesson but i was like okay let's improvise something let's change it up and, you know, it's, it, it ended up being okay. And I just regrouped the next day, but. You, you know, know, and I think we do, we, we all have those moments where we realize that it's not working. And sometimes to also know that as educators, it's okay to, to realize that we have attempted something. We've tried this and it didn't work. And, you know, we still have 20 minutes left in class or something like that. And to say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and put that away. We're going to switch gears. And then we're going to do something so that we make sure that we kind of have a W at the at the end of the hour. And, and to know that you're not alone in that, all educators have those moments. And to know that it's okay to do that to make your lessons better. And I think that's one area where newer educators can lean on some of those more veteran educators that have been in it for a while. Like every teacher that's been in it for, for any length of time has a couple of activities that like, okay, I've got this in my back pocket if it's not going well. I can just throw that out there um, and just asking around, hey, what do you do if, if things don't go well? Because, um, you know, as, the, as my career has gone on, I've gotten more and more of those ideas so that at this point, it doesn't throw me anymore because I'm just like, oh, you know what? I've got these three things I could try. Uh, let's go with option number two right now and try that out. Exactly. So, okay, so then if we're, so we're, we're getting back to the movie, they've, they've landed the plane, they've gotten out and then... Um, they, they're in these Jeeps and they're going through and there's this little bit of mystery that's happening because um, they go through this like humongous electrified fence and like Grant and Ellie, they don't have any idea what this park is. And they're like, why would you need to have a humongous electric fence for, for something like this park that's saying you're up my alley and like, I dig up dinosaur bones. Like, what are you protecting? And so then they have that drive moment and it's that reveal that like even Ellie, the first time she has this plant and she goes, 
that's weird. And then Grant has that one and it's been a, a gif now. And I, the meme of where he has the aviator glasses and he takes them off and he leans up above and you can't see him. And Ellie's like, um, this plant is supposed to be extinct from this and such. And he like taps on her head and she's like, what? And then looks and for the first time they get to see this, this dinosaur. For the, for the first time, realizing that, that this is a possibility. And, um, and I think that that's something as educators that we can learn from Hammond, you know, driving, having that stop and then letting people, you know, because he didn't say, hey, look out the right, there's a dinosaur. He, he built it to let them discover it. And I think that's a thing we can do as educators. Well, then also, if you look at it just from a filmmaker standpoint, too, that's where you get this like that the music is building up to that moment. And yes. you've got like that iconic music hits and you've got the dinosaur like uh, making the noises right when they look at it. And so it all builds up to this one moment. So you're right. Even It's not just, you know, the, the build up to look at that moment, but like there's every other element in the frame is leading you towards that moment. Yes. And, and I think that, uh, again, looking at our own classroom and whatever and allowing for those things to build and allowing for students to discover that on their own and not just necessarily telling them that, I think that that's something that we can all kind of take as, dare I say, a try this in your classroom. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's scary, too, because you want, well, even with Ellie, she's not looking in the right direction. Yes. And you're like, oh, oh, she's got to look. She's got to look. She's got, oh. And then, you know, uh, eventually someone else helps direct her, but it's not Hammond who's directing her. It's, it's in this case, in your classroom, it'd be another student saying, hey, whoa, whoa, did you see this? Yeah. And that, those are such powerful moments. Yes. So, um, okay. So then we've seen, so they've, they've seen the dinosaurs. Now they're finally understanding like where all these like electrified fences are coming from. Um, and then they get to, you know, the, the visitor center and, uh, and as they're kind of in there and they're talking about this stuff, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Hammond kind of has this, they have this big meeting around, um, kind of like food where they're sort of talking about, um, you know, all, all of these things, all, all these facets of the park. And Hammond is kind of sitting back and saying like, okay, these people, these paleontologists that have only like seen dinosaurs like in bone form to now see what they're actually like. I think he's kind of, you know, waiting for that victory lap. And you have the um, Ian Malcolm character, the Jeff Goldblum character. Um, that is coming in and he's the trendy one. And again, Hammond's thinking that all these people are going to think this is amazing and they do not have a ton of good things to say about what's going on in this park. Well, they and, even talk about like just a lack of understanding, like you built these things, you created this stuff. Uh, Ellie even says you have plants in here that are poisonous, but you picked it because it was because um, it looked nice. Yes. And so there, there's all these like risks that they're pointing out, like, hey, did you think about this, this and this before you started this? As in you've spared no expense, but right. you've covered your entire, you know, arboretum and poisonous plants that you probably don't <laughs> want people to be around. Um, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, sometimes we do. So we've talked about, you know, how Hammond has this big buildup moment and, and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, it seems like he's kind of, you know, 
let down a little bit and then has to kind of regroup. And, you know, I, I know that that can be kind of the other side of that coin that we've talked about as, as educators, that sometimes, you know, if those things in class don't work out the way that we want them to, our lessons are not as dynamic, maybe we had it built up and it just didn't work out that way to know that like, that's okay. They're still learning and things that are happening in that process, so. When I think it's also um, a moment to, uh, like a reflection moment of, because Hammond really had a couple of different options. He could take their input and say, oh, you know what? Maybe I need to adapt and adjust. Yeah. Whereas instead he's like, no, we're going to keep pushing forward. Um, and right. spoiler alert, um, I don't know. Did you ever read the book? I did. Um, I actually have a fun story about reading the book. So, you know, this was in the yes. 1990s. I was a middle schooler and um, I'd saved up my kind of like my book point money and whatever. And, and I actually got Jurassic Park because, of course, with the movie and everything that was coming out, it was a big deal. And so I read a lot of the kind of like beginning sections of the book and whatnot. And then right when I got to the chapter, Welcome to Jurassic Park, um, my book got lost or somebody stole it. I still, I have to think reflectively on my own self being a middle schooler that like, did I leave it in the library? Did somebody take it from my stack? But I never got to finish the book. That's as far as I got. Okay. So in the book, uh, Hammond is a little different. He's, he's a little, he's more of a jerk. He's more about like in the, in the movie, he's like, I spare no expense to like help the kids or to, to show this off to people. Everybody deserves it. Well, in the book, he's like, he wants to make money and he wants to spare no expense to make money. But <laughs> at the end of the book, he actually gets eaten by dinosaurs. Like he doesn't make it to the yes. end of the book. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's almost, it's almost like his pursuit of like continuing to push and trying to continue on, even though he's being told and warned by all these people, Hey, have you thought about this? Have you reflected on this? Um, he, he continues trying to move forward, even though it's not going well. And he never stops to think. And, and Ian Malkin even has a quote, something about like um, the scientists, uh, see what he said. He said, the scientists are preoccupied if they could, that they never stop to think, well, should, should I? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so that, that really sticks with me, especially with things yes. like um, classroom technology. Yes. Where you, you want to, you have these really cool technology tools and you're like, oh, I could have, uh, so in this lesson, I'm going to have them do a Nearpod and then I'm going to have them do a Flipgrid and then I'll have them do these two docs and all these things. And you're like, yes, hold on, take, take a pause for a second. Yeah. You've got all this cool stuff, but should you do all of that? And, uh, you know, because again, we all have that Hammond desire to have this epic moment. These, right. you know, these, these educators to be, to have these dynamic lessons and the educational tools that we have, yes, there are a ton of educational tools. And I think that you're right. That is one of those taglines that you should have as you're designing the lessons that um, it, it's not the, could I use this ed tech tool? It's, should I use this ed tech tool? And again, that, that kind of gets into, you know, that, that thought of your background and knowing what you've got first and then kind of moving forward as, as in not using the, and I feel like, is this something I feel like maybe you talk about in your book, which is talking about how you're using the ed tech tool and don't use it in reverse 
that like, don't, don't focus on like using Nearpod for this. It's, this is what I want to accomplish in my lesson. What ed tech tool do I use? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you always want to find, have the learning task first, because I mean, that is your primary goal. And then you got to figure out, okay, which tool will help me get there. Um, and like in the case of Jurassic Park, like if you're getting feedback from your students that says, hey, I've got half my class struggling with this activity. Well, if half your class is struggling with it, chances are there's some flaw in what you've created that you can adapt, but take that feedback in. Sometimes we want to get, I get stubborn and I'm like, oh, you know what? It must be the kids. Kids these days, they just, they, they're not doing the work. They're not, but at a certain point, like it's, right. so many of the kids are struggling with it. Maybe it's on me and I need to adjust what I'm doing and take that feedback. And, you know, and sometimes that is the case. Sometimes I reflect on it. I'm like, you know what? It really is, you know, this group of kids really struggled because they were having trouble focusing that day and I'll work with them individually. But a lot of times it's, you know what? I gave them too many steps and didn't give them enough guidance in those steps. So I probably need to take a step back and actually like reevaluate and see how I can best support them. Exactly. So, um, so you talked about um, reading the book, and I did kind of want to bring up um, one of these uh, the the characters that seemingly is the villain, yet doesn't necessarily seem to be, which is Dennis Nedry. So Dennis Nedry is the computer programmer. So um, as Hammond is is getting all this feedback and ignoring and saying like, okay, like you guys haven't even seen the park. Like, get in the cars. We're going to drive you around the park and all of that. There's this kind of other side of the story done by this computer programmer, Dennis Nedry. And in the book, it goes into a lot more detail and it doesn't go into in the movie a lot, which is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but in the book, it talks about how Nedry was contracted by InGen and by Hammond to essentially kind of like put computers together in the visitor center to like, you know, make sure that it could be somewhat automated. And then because of that plugging in the computers, it was like, well, now you have to like, you know, bridge that for those of us that did like land parties and things like that way back in the nineties, hooking up computers, it was more like, well, you have to hook all of them up. You have to have the like operating systems and whatever. So like, it's kind of one of those, again, Mr. Hammond spare no expense. The one expense that he spared was this person that's essentially designing Jurassic Park and essentially says, well, according to your contract, we're only paying you this much. And you get little bits of it in the movie of things where, um, you know, at one point he even says like, Dennis, our lives are in your hands and you have butterfingers. And he's like, I'm so unappreciated in my time. Like I've, you could run this entire park from this at one room with minimal staff for like two weeks because of all these things. I've debugged this. I've done that. Can you tell me who else would be better at doing this job than me? And it, it's kind of one of these lessons about appreciating the people that are just working so hard in your building and, and not taking them for granted. Don't spare that expense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just, sorry, I got sidetracked thinking about like a Samuel L. Jackson and uh, just seeing them working together. Yes. <laughs> I can't even imagine what that would be like. <laughs> Oh my God. Yes, exactly. And that's where the actor that plays Dennis Nedry is the, I cannot remember what his name is, but is the actor that plays Newman in Seinfeld. Um, I think he's been in a couple of other things here and there. Um, it is uh, Wayne Knight. 
Wayne. Sorry, I got, I got the IMDb page. Yes, up please. I was like looking at everyone who was in it. Uh, yeah, so his name's Wayne Knight. Um, and so like, so then because InGen has kind of like, you know, shortchanged this person, um, he gets it into his mind that um, he gets with this other rival company that wants the secrets of InGen, which is like the DNA for all the dinosaurs and stuff like that. And he kind of, he concocts this plan of kind of like having these rolling blackouts and going in and stealing the dinosaur DNA and then getting it to this company and getting the money that he's owed. And like that one thing mixed in with like, there's a tropical storm that happens as well. But like all of those things kind of come together to like really completely derail Jurassic Park. And it, it goes back to what you're saying too. Like he has so much power and so much control in this park and to be so undervalued, um, he just he took his services elsewhere but it's money is also a huge factor in it 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 is and you know i i know that we definitely in in education i know we can we can talk dollars and cents and that type of stuff but i know things in in terms of that appreciation for you know the for the people that are that are in your building you know that that would be a great um uh you know try this in your classroom which is like if you see somebody that's really working hard you know I know we all have, um, you know, secretaries that are just keeping us afloat during this time, custodial staff, um, you know, people that are doing supervision when you're not. Um, I, I, there's a lot that you can, you know, throw some appreciation that way. So, <laughs> um, okay, so uh, then taking a look at um, uh, some of the other things. One of this other quote that I wanted to throw out is this Ian Malcolm quote. Um, Because one of the things that they're trying to control in Jurassic Park is how many dinosaurs are actually being made. And so because of that, one of the like head scientists was kind of like, you know, talking about how there's no unauthorized breeding. And of course, that's the Ian Malcolm where he's like, what do they somebody go out there and lift up all the dinosaur skirts? And and he's like, we control their chromosomes. And you're like, well, if they can build the dinosaur, they probably could control chromosomes and saying like, well, you know, they keep all of them inherently female and he has this thing where he's like okay the type of control that you are saying it's not a thing it's a it's an illusion life is going to find a way and you know you can try all you want but life will find a way and that was that reference to the earlier scene where grant has those two female ends of the seatbelt and ties them together life finds a way and it's kind of one of those things that I, I think about with how we approach um, our kind of classroom management. And I've, I've noticed on Twitter, you've kind of mentioned a couple of times that like, you've been sort of like me, which is bell to bell teaching. Like when the bell rings, you get started, you have, you know, it's the whole idle hands. You don't want idle hands because that's when the discipline problems happen. So you, you, teach from there to there and this year you've been kind of reflecting and changing that around and I wonder if that life finds a way is kind of speaking to you a little bit more so it does in a couple of ways um yeah so when it comes to bell the bell I've really been reflecting on like why am I feeling every single moment when I know that you know a student isn't going to be actively engaged every single second of that so if I can add breaks into the the day to have those conversations with kids I can stay better on top of things that may be coming up. 
I can build better relationships with the kids so that in the moments when I am right on targets, focused on the lesson, um, I can actually have that stronger connection so that it it resonates more deeply. Um, That quote also made me think of like, kids will find a way whether whether you like it or not, kids will always find a way around whatever um, rules you want to implement. The kids are so creative. I they remember are. we so I uh, I requested from the district to have Minecraft put on all of our iPads a couple of years ago. Yes. So they turned it on at nine o'clock in the morning. By two o'clock that afternoon, half the school had downloaded Minecraft. Nobody told them it was there. Like one kid found it, and word of mouth spread. And by the end, they had to learn a different login. They had to learn all of this stuff on their own just because they were motivated to find it. They were motivated to engage with each other. They were asking each other questions. And I think a lot of times they will use their creative energies into um, things that aren't the most positive. But if they're spending all their energy finding a way to get engaged on Minecraft, I, I was actually okay. The other teachers weren't as thrilled with me about that, but I was, I thought it was great. I was like, this is, they've learned how to sign in through Microsoft. They've learned how to download an app effectively. They, and so I think you just have to find ways to shift and figure out how to spin it into a positive. You know, I have to tell you something um, in, in my building, um, some, some people kind of thought that I was one of the people that was behind that. And so I, I, you're, you're describing the day and I very much remember that day, that, that day that it was open. And I had people coming in, like into my classroom saying, why did you say that people should have Minecraft and whatnot? Kids are downloading it like crazy. And I was like, why do you just assume that it was me that, that like, I was like, me. Right. Now, see, that's there it is. But now I will say also, then, you know, you have that thought of you're right, you have this, this idea to be able to, you know, this life finds a way idea. That also means if kids can find a way to do something like that, if they're motivated to do something in your classroom, they're going to find a way. And so you talk about Minecraft. This year was the first year that I used it in my classroom to have kids usually when it's not pandemic time, I I usually have them design settlements um, based on geographic thinking skills and things like that. And so this year I did that. And I will tell you, I am not kidding. I had somebody in my last hour of the day today asking, um, hey, do you remember how to do all the login stuff for for Minecraft EDU? Because, you know, my brother wants to have this. And, you know, of course, I'm kind of like, well, that assignment's over. I don't want to be the person that's opening up the Pandora's box, but that's where, again, you, you have that, that thought of, you're right. There were other educators that were probably like, oh, you know, they're, you know, they're on this Minecraft thing. They're, you know, off task and and things like that. And granted at the same time, you know, you're saying that like, it is, it's impossible to have that 50 minutes of this incredibly high level of engagement and, and things like that. So, you know, we, we understand that there is a pull for those type of games and things like that for sure. Um, but the, the question you would maybe have is if life's gonna find a way that way and they're kind of moving in that direction, can I use something like that? Can I harness that power in my classroom um, to, to make something that the kids are gonna be so excited and so into that they're gonna be ready to learn? 
Right. And, and oftentimes we shut it down right away. If we're like, yeah. well, you know what, this is not the direction we were going. And so I really, I'm going to steer the ship back this way instead of saying, okay, that's where they're going. Let's see how I can turn that into what I want, the direction we were originally going. Let's see how we can adapt what they want to do into my lesson that I was going to do. Exactly. And knowing that, and again, we can go back to that movie of Jurassic Park, you know, when things were going wrong and whatever, you know, they'd attempted to shut things down and tried to regain control and stuff like that. And once it was, it was out, it was like the dinosaurs are out there. They are around. And like we, we did all these safety things. There's, we can't wrangle there. There's no way. And like trying to, you know, create that solution. And, and I, I think that's another one of those. We've done several good try these, try these in your classroom tips. And, you know, one of those is some of those things of using student interest in the things that you are doing. Um, you know, I know that you're, you know, a, a language arts teacher. And I mean, that's an amazing thing. I, I'm, I love all of the, the extra book things that you are doing, as in, this is what I'm reading. Like, this is a, a cool thing. I've actually been, I can a little bit toot my own horn that way which is um, I do a Marvel gamified classroom and Marvel has just come out with a new comic series called Indigenous Voices, talking about Native American superheroes. And so we're doing Native American studies that kind of like ropes in. And, um, and I talked about one superhero today and it's one of those just moments in the classroom that's just so good that um, I was talking about this superhero that is, her name is Echo. She's not only half Native American, but she's also Latina and is DHH or deaf of hard of hearing. And once I said, um, you know, Latina, I, I had a, a, at least one student in my class that was like, yes. And, and they, they, they happened to be Latino and like, yes, as in so excited that like they get to be represented. And it was kind of one of those amazing moments, but yet if, if we're not letting kids bring their interest into the classroom, we don't get that. Yeah, and giving them the safe, a safe space to share that and giving them a safe space to feel comfortable. Um, Cause a lot, a lot of times they, f if they feel like they're going to be shut down right away, then they just won't even share those things with you. But if they feel like it's an open space that they can share their interests, share their hobbies, share their passions, then they will. I, I had a kid um, a couple of days ago who I, so I do a daily check-in form and on his daily check-in form, uh, by the way, this is why I love sixth graders. Uh, he put in the so anything else I need to know. He put I drew a potato cyborg, and I was like, "What's a potato cyborg? What is a potato is cyborg? Right, half 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 potato, half robot." And so I I called that out in front of the whole class. I was like, "You've got to tell us about this potato cyborg. This sounds amazing." So he told me it, and then the next day he sent me two YouTube videos of things that he was interested in. This today he brought in uh another cyborg drawing and then he sent me an email and said hey i've got this really cool story i want to write can you help me with it i'm like if i had shut down the cyborg thing and not even addressed it none of that i think would have happened and then you've now magically circled back to your content and and right. that is something that even goes beyond so this is somebody and again it's that life finds a way you know this kid is interested in that and is interested in your content and and is now approaching you and saying, hey, I want you to help me with this thing. You're not grading that. You're, you're right. not giving anything in class and whatever. And yet 
all of a sudden those things are leaps and bounds because you do writing in class. And then who knows that as that kid's going to be doing more writing, it's going to be helping all of these other things. You get that success and it's that thought of, you know, success breeds success. And, you know, I, I have to ask though, did, did this, did the potato cyborg have a name? It did not have a name yet. I think Can I suggest one? His story. Yes, please. Sputnik. <laughs> Spudnik. Wow. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. I'll, I, I I'll expect you. To, okay. I expect you to let me know how that goes. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> okay. Um, is there, okay. Are there any other, um, okay, wait, I'll do maybe one more scene. And then I want to know if you've got any other scenes. Um, one of the uh, kind of security guys that we haven't really talked about, I don't even necessarily remember his name. Um, but it's kind of like the head game master Muldoon, I think is his name. Um, yep. he got the nice, uh, like kind of, you know, safari hat. He talks about how he's this expert hunter and, you know, how he's kind of like this animal expert. And when the animals are all out, they have to go and get to this like kind of auxiliary, um, place to boot up all the systems or, or like, I think it was like circuit breakers, like the breakers had been tripped. So he is actually escorting Nelly. And he even has that at one point where she's like, yeah, we can run. And he goes, no, we can't. Cause we're being hunted, you know, by the velociraptors. And so then he's like, you know, I've got her, you know, run. And then, you know, she runs and gets through. And then you can see that like the velociraptors kind of hanging around and he's, you know, getting his gun ready to take his shot. And as he's looking forward to take a shot from the right-hand side, another Velociraptor, like right in his face. And he has that one line that I know is one of mine that I wanted to get back to, which was all he says is clever girl. And <laughs> that's it. And, um, you know, it's, it's that thought of, you know, sometimes again, in, in education, we don't necessarily know all the things we can feel as prepared as we can. Then all of a sudden, a, a global pandemic can happen that is going to completely change around all of the stuff that, that is standard as usual. You know, we're, we're experts, master hunters, and yet all of a sudden. And you can't anticipate everything. But, I mean, no. there's nobody predicted, you know, we were going to be, I have a favorite mask now. Who thought like a year ago that you were going to have not only wear a mask every day, but you were going to have a favorite mask because it's the most comfortable. Like, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I, I do too. Um, <laughs> is that thinking about things like that? It's, it's amazing how, you, you know, we've progressed in, in this time for sure. So are there any other scenes for you that we need to talk about before we wrap up? No, I will. I will warn people though. If you do read the book, um, it's a, it's so much more violent than the movie is like yeah. and and most of the characters that are in the movie um actually die in the book so <laughs> i think that you are the first person that i could say is actually we've not only spoiled the movie but we've also <laughs> spoiled the book this is a True. teacher pop first i can't believe it. so well, that, that's the language arts teacher in me i i figure i'll ruin the book for you as well exactly see that's double it goes right back to the content so, um, all right. Well, um, Josh, thank you so much. This was an amazing episode. I know that we're going to have you back on um, talking about uh, either more Jurassic Park or, or other pop culture things. But uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. And um, all my Teacher Pop fans out there, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We'll have another one coming soon. And until then, take care. <laughs>